Hi, Margie Krakowski with Wright Harima Architects. I'm the chair of programs, along with my wonderful co-chairs who I talk to every single day, Megan Marshall with Jones Lang LaSalle and Tony Smadiato with Studley. We have a lot of exciting programs coming up. Uh, next month in June, we will be discussing the intersection of branding and real estate. Uh, Mercedes-Benz, Procter & Gamble, and Nextel will be flying in to discuss how brand and real estate are integrated into the core business strategy. In July, we have a representative from Cornet Global coming in to discuss the recent Corporate Real Estate 2020 Research Initiative, which brought together hundreds of CRE global thought leaders to analyze a wide range of global drivers. Today's program is being podcast, and we have an extensive library of past programs that are all posted to the Cornet website. If you have your MCR, you receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon you attend, and uh, Beth at the registration table can sign you up to make sure you get your credits. Uh, we encourage your feedback at the end of the program, and there will be a hard copy survey distributed. So with that, Today's topic, Chicago icons, what's old is new again. Please welcome to the stage our distinguished speakers. Gary Michon uh, with U.S. Equities. Gary brings together more than 25 years of commercial real estate expertise to his position as president and general, vice president and general manager of the world-famous Willis Tower. In this role, he manages all operations of the iconic 4.5 million square foot building. Ari Glass, Senior Vice President with Zeller Realty, representing the Wrigley Building. Ari is engaged in recommending potential acquisition opportunities for Zeller, including financing, equity sourcing, and transaction structuring, as well as capital markets, responsibilities for assets in the owned portfolio. Ari has completed assignments on 13 assets valued at more than $750 million. Rafael Carrera, Principal with the John Buck Company, representing the Virgin Hotel Group. Raphael joined John Buck in 1993 and serves as principal and co-head of the development group. Experienced in office, retail, residential, and mixed-use projects, Raphael leads John Buck's staff through the planning and execution of development projects. Steve Hammerly, executive vice president of Navy Pier, uh, is responsible for overseeing and directing all the redevelopment activities at Navy Pier. And last but not least, our moderator, Joe Caprilli, uh, Joe serves as Senior Vice President and Team Leader for the Project and Development Services Group in Chicago for Jones Lang LaSalle. He has more than 30 years of experience in the planning, design, and construction industry. Take it away, Joe. Good afternoon, and Marjorie, thank you very much for the gracious introductions. You know, I want to start off by saying I'm being very honored to be the moderator of this panel because of the distinguished speakers, but also because it's a very relevant topic, Chicago icons, old and new. You know, as we know, Chicago is a city of great architecture and great places, many of which go back to the Daniel Burnham plan. And these icons really help to stave and create Chicago's heritage. Um, but they also need revitalization and they need to come back to maintain their integrity and economic viability. And if not, they're left to deteriorate and then they get removed. And oftentimes it has a negative impact on our urban fabric, um, which we all know and live with. So today we're gonna hear about four of these icons. One, modern building, Willis Tower. Two, landmark buildings, the Wrigley buildings, and two or three North Wabash. And then the last one is a great urban space, Navy Pier. Now, what's also very interesting is that if you look at these four buildings, there's about six different uses in the building and how they really affect the market. Of course, there's office, there's retail, there's hotel, there's commercial, there's entertainment, and even communication. So really, these four projects have a great cross-section of the industry. Um, so with that, you're not here to hear me. I want to turn it over to Gary, if we can have the first presentation on Willis Tower. Okay. Okay. Um, it's really an honor to be here and to tell you about Willis Tower. Um, I've been at the property for about three years now, 
and it's, it's been a, a fabulous experience with me. And, and actually, let, let me just tell you on the cuff some of the, the neat things I really like here. Um, first off, the parking perks, Metropolitan Club. I get to go to the Sky Deck whenever I want. Um, I, I actually have a direct line to the mayor's office, which is, and actually the most fabulous thing that I have, and I know all you guys want to do this, is that control the lights on the antenna. <laughs> and I actually have it right here. So my staff, every night, they go outside, they look outside their house, they see it on TV. They know if it's red, they know they're going to have a hard day tomorrow. <laughs> And if it's green, it's going to be a good day because we just did a new deal. So, so anyway, that, that's one of my favorite parts here, controlling the lights. Um, really, I work with 25 fabulous office people that help control the, the number of people that come in our building. We have between 10 and 12,000 tenants and their guests visit the building daily. Uh, on top of that, we can have up to 12,000 visitors going to the sky deck. So it can be very busy, very quickly, and uh, it, 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 there's a, just a lot of things going on. So we have to make sure there's, uh, everything's under control. Um, one of the unique things that I have um, versus some of the other office buildings is that we have three specialties within our building that we have to control. Uh, the office portion, which is really about 75% of, of our office, of our revenues at the building. Uh, Skydeck and broadcast represent about another 25% of all the revenues. So um, it, it's something we really have to manage uh, very closely together in, in our reports to the owners. Back in 2007, U.S. Equities took over Sears Tower at that time. And one of the things that we brought up to the owners was that the we didn't have a leasing problem at the building. It was an image problem at the building. And really to get the message out of how good this structure really is. And uh, so, so we brought those ideas to make some changes there. We, we also wanted to eliminate some of the large blocks of space that we had in the lower portions of the building. We also had to address some of the major tenant renewals that were coming up. And what we were trying to do is really create a uh, sense of community um, with, with the city. And uh, finally, we really wanted to stabilize the broadcast, get some long-term leases going in there. Um, so back in uh, 2007, the, the differences between the building then and now, we really invested in trying to clear up our image. Um, back then, you could, if people remember, it looked like O'Hare Airport when you walked into the entrance of the building. And, and that really wasn't accommodating to a lot of the business owners uh, or business users. Uh, especially when they had to have their employees and guests come into the building to screen like you're going through the airport. So we had to completely change that image. And so what we did was we moved back all of the X-ray machines, we automated our check-in services, made it customer friendly. Um, we got rid of the, um, the guards' uniforms. We went to a more professional look. Every one of our uh, personnel in the lobby have tailored uh, suits now and we provide it to them. They have a sense of ownership, and it's, it's a welcome pleasure when you walk into the building and they greet you personally by your first name. So that was part of our image change back in 2007. On top of that, we wanted to really attract more t people to the building and to show that it is friendly and not restricted. So we, so we have outdoor concerts every week. Uh, we also thought the lobbies needed some type of, it was very stoic looking in there. It was, it was just big open vacant space in the lobby area. So we created an art program. So a couple times a year we changed the art and uh, uh, some very unique pieces that aren't seen around the city at times. And uh, artists come in and they give presentations on, uh, you could personally meet the uh, artist. Uh, we also added flowers and we added uh, couches so you could sit down and actually meet with uh, some of your business people. Uh, some of the artists that we actually have, uh, we had a bronze uh, specialist, uh, Jacques Jean, uh, a couple months ago, and, and what he did for the tenants of the building is an amenity. He actually raffled off one of his bronze art exhibits to our tenants, which was amazing. Um, so, so what we're going through here is just a couple art exhibits that we had. Uh, we also added uh, some more retail, and, and over from 2007 and 8. 
by changing these images, getting the message out that we're more business oriented and that we're not going into our hair airport, it really kicked off the transition for Willows Tower. Um, we, of course, we changed the name at that point. That was part of our strategy. Uh, it was a great opportunity with, a, with a, a global insurance company to get their name on a building. If you, if you look around uh, the, the country and other, you'll see in the major cities, you'll see a lot of insurance companies that are the biggest buildings in those respective cities, uh, just like here in Chicago. So um, transforming the building over, uh, uh, look, making us look like a global leader, uh, putting the, I was personally involved with selecting and putting the globe up on the northwest corner. What did that do for us? Well, back in 2007 when U.S. equities took over, the leasing was about 250,000 square feet a year in annual renewals as well as new deals. Since that time, our occupancy and, and renewals have been going up. And Really, 2009, you could see the huge spike in that year, and I want to thank all the brokers out here who really helped with it, but uh, bringing in Willis as well as bringing in United Airlines into, into the building has been a big success. We were able to fill a lot of the lower portions of the building where we had large holes, and, and by, like I said, by changing the image uh, out there in the community, it, it, it really has been a beneficial for the ownership there. Skydeck, we invested over $9 million in some of the Skydeck improvements that were done there. Uh, we needed to re-energize some of the outdated attraction that we had here. We were barely keeping up the attendance numbers that we had the previous year before. We needed to do something different and we needed to kind of redevelop that whole experience for uh, visitors from uh, outside the city as well as local people. We needed to keep attracting more people here. So. Uh, we're certainly losing some revenues in the Skydeck area, so we, we did put a major investment in. And I know you have an upcoming, uh, upcoming meeting coming on branding. I cannot tell you how important it is to have branding and to keep pushing it out there. Uh, so we had to rename it from the Sears Skydeck, and we had to invest a lot of money to change that over to Skydeck Chicago. So uh, we spent many, many hours trying to come up with new logos, new, new themes, new branding. Uh, that was all part of it. We actually had to then revitalize a lot of the uh, sales areas, gift stores that we had throughout the building. So we, we had to modernize that. We created almost like a Vegas kind of atmosphere when you had to leave the Skydeck. You had to walk through the exhibit and hopefully tempting you to buy some uh, buy some things uh, for the building here. So um, by, by really adding these features, it, besides the attendance increase, our sales have skyrocketed both for the uh, photo sales as well as all, all the little trinkets that you could buy, trinkets that you could buy for uh, uh, Chicago and Willis Tower. So our sales overall have been increasing tremendously. Uh, we actually created a visitor center when you come in. It's interactive. It tells about the city of Chicago, um, and it, it's virtual displays, uh, and, and it's, it's wonderful while you're waiting in line to actually get upstairs to the 103rd floor. The ledge, as you can see here, has phenomenal views. It's a favorite for the kids. Um, I welcome, uh, by, by putting this ledge box in here, it's about an inch and a half inch, inch and a half thick. Um, it can hold a couple thousand pounds. Um, the tourists um, um, keep coming. We had about 1.5 million visitors uh, last year, and the number is increasing. Uh, this year, we're blowing away those numbers even more. So um, the owners are very excited about the uh, attendance that we're getting. Talking about keeping things going, our 99th floor was... Um, very dated as well. And over this past year, we changed it up to hold events on the floor. Uh, once again, we're looking at building more revenues and how can we bring more people in and to, to share this experience. So uh, we've opened it up to weddings, uh, business meetings, and, and we use it quite a bit for tenant amenities. I, I, last week, I had a mixology event so for some of our key tenants, and it was, it was fabulous. You should try it if you, don't have, if you didn't go to one yet. Um, but we've had unbelievable media coverage, every news station possible, Ellen's show. Um, it, it's been a great experience investing in, the, in the, 
$9 million into the asset. We made that back in, in one year. So the payback was incredible. Um, talk a little bit about the broadcasting. No other buildings really I, I can talk to. Maybe the Hancock as, as far as uh, broadcasting capabilities. Really, they have, I want to say the broadcasters have the best view in the city because they're all on like 102, 103, excuse me, 102, 104, 105. So they're all up high in the building. Uh, so all those little, in, all the engineers who work for WGN and all those stations, they have great views up there. Um, we basically have every major news station in our building. We have, um, there's 16 of them and we have nine uh, radio stations. So we're basically controlling the market with that. And you have to be up high to get the message out. So, so we have a kind of a unique uh, crowd there that we sell to. Uh, one of the other features that we just added this year, and I'll just throw this in and working with our broadcast team, is we actually worked with Xtenet, and we put a kind, of a kind of a cool thing in this past year. We actually bounce radio signals off the inside of all the ductwork in the building and it enables us to get perfect clarity for all, anyone who has AT&T cell service in our building. So that's kind of a unique thing that we have. So if you're in the elevator, lower levels of the building, in the restroom, wherever you're at, you're going to get clear reception for AT&T in our building. So uh, that's something that we just added this past year. And all I could say is things are looking up at Willis Tower. Uh, you'll see a lot of green lights on a building. We have a lot of new deals out there. Uh, brokers are bringing us deals all the time, and we got some nice things in the, in the pipeline right now, and I can't wait to make some further announcements on those things. But uh, thank you so much for having me talk today. Gary, thank you very much. Great, great presentation. We'd now like to move on to Ari Glass representing the Wrigley Building. Okay. Thank you for having me, and we're excited to be here to talk about our project. I'm listening to that thinking might be easier if it was four years from now and I was able to talk in past tense too, but <laughs> such is not the case. Um, and I've got two of uh, the people that are very instrumental in our team here. They're actually the ones who typically give this. So if anyone just wants me to stop and get them up there, raise a hand and we'll get me off the stage and we'll get the experts up. Um, we've been part of the ownership of the Wrigley Building for seven months now. Uh, and I was saying to one of the other speakers up here earlier, it's one of those projects, it feels like seven years, because it's so intense, there's so much going on. Uh, there's such a collaboration between ownership, between architects, between other folks who are helping us navigate the city landmarking process and the National Parks Registry landmarking process, the city itself. So there's, um, there's never a, a loss for a meeting you could be in, having to do with the Wrigley Building. Um, a lot of the slides that I've got are, are really picture in nature. I don't have a lot of verbiage. I'll take you through a little bit of, of what we've uncovered over the last seven months and, and what we hope will be an exciting uh, coming 15 months of really intense renovation, followed by uh, hopefully years of uh, everyone in this room and everyone that's in, associated with the city of Chicago uh, being very, very proud, as we always have been, of the Wrigley and, and watching it we hope transform into something that'll be really special and really anchor what we've seen grow into kind of the nexus of the retail and the office and hotel. Everything about Chicago has kind of come together right at the intersection of the river and Michigan Avenue. Um, we've owned 401 North Michigan across the street for 10 years and we've watched Millennium Park, different hotels, uh, we've watched a golf course turn into housing on Lakeshore East, and we've really watched that intersection transform. And we couldn't be more excited than to be now part of Transformation of Wrigley. Um, there are so many things about the building that we hope to really enlighten, bring people's attention to. This is actually a shot of the terracotta underneath the walkway between the two towers. One of the things that we'll be doing, and I've got a picture later on, is removing the windscreen, the, 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 the glass screen that was actually built uh, in the 1930s because there was no plaza where the plaza now sits, and there was actually locomotives that were delivering. It was very industrial. I've got a slide further in. And so that, that actually served a purpose of people not falling over 
onto the train tracks and all of the coal and dust and things from the trains. So we looked forward to opening that up, really lighting this area and bringing a lot of the terracotta. You get a nice feel for it the way the building's lit now. But in revitalizing the plaza, revitalizing these types of areas, we really hope to make it shine even more than it already does. Uh, some of the details, having the building built in the 20s, it just the craftsmanship that went into it, the things that we have to work with are wonderful. Uh, this is one of the bronze on the exterior of the building. Um, the Wrigley clocks that are in each tower. Um, the types of things that we're excited to work through. There are challenges. I'm excited because I get to watch the production of the architects. They have to deal with them. But really work these things into and make them part of what will be um, really a treasured project going forward. The views out of the building, I think this is one of the things that was maybe the best kept secret about the building, that as we finish our renovation and start getting brokers and tenants and users through the building will really be prominent. The fact that there's the jog in Michigan Avenue, these buildings actually are offset from each other. And, and, and when you're driving by on Michigan Avenue, you might not realize that, you might not take it fully into account, but this is actually a shot south from the North Tower. And so we chose it to really show how dramatic there is a southern view, even though you would, when you're standing outside the buildings, you would think that the entire south view is blocked by the south tower. This is actually from the north tower. Again, some of the fantastic terracotta work. We, we go in and we're, every day you uncover something different. We're in one of the offices and um, these are not the original hands on the clock. One of the offices had one of the original hands sitting against the wall. It's just, it's a fantastic amount of history uh, in the building. The Wrigley's were wonderful stewards of the asset, um, and it's actually why the building is not landmarked. People think it is, people call it a landmark in Chicago because it is in, sen in a sense, but it is not officially a landmarked asset. And that really has to do with the Wrigley's um, and that family being such an important part of this city and always working with the city, and the city had the trust that they would do the right thing with the asset. Um, having to now come in and completely redevelop it, we're looking to add the building, consensually work with the city, add the building to the landmarks registry, both on a local level and on a national level, uh, which gets into one of the things we were talking about, which are financial incentives. Uh, we will look to obtain a Class L, uh, which is a defined period of uh, real estate tax savings, and we will look to obtain historic tax credits on the national level, putting it on the National Parks Registry. Um, both of those things are very important because while we do this for a living, renovate office buildings, in, in most of the projects we work with, this is one of the original pictures, um, the, the vast majority of the money you're putting in is going into tenant spaces. You might have to fix up a lobby, you might have to fix up bathrooms, systems, um, but the, typically the lead item in your budget for renovation is TI, it's commissions, it's things that produce revenue. In this project, there is so much going on between plaza work and exterior and systems and all sorts of things just to get to the point where then we can start adding tenants and spending TI dollars. These financial incentives are incredibly important. Because you're going in and, and it's a beautiful building. And we all, as Chicagoans, are very proud of it. And we all think it's a beautiful building. That's a lot different from having a full building <laughs> that's generating revenue. Um, so you are taking a little bit of a leap of faith that you're going to spend all this money and that at the end of the day, you're going to be able to lease it up. You're going to actually be able to make it an economically viable project. Um, so those, those incentives are incredibly important in, in having things done right and having things done with a long-term view. Uh, and that's really what we hope to do and, and are endeavoring to do at the asset. This, to give you a feel for, um, the trains had already stopped coming through the building on this shot, but you can see this parking lot is uh, actually from the old soap factory, and this is where 401 now stands, is where this shot was taken. Um, so you can see there's been a lot going on. This is now uh, more modern times. The way the building's lit, the 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 terracotta just glows, it's gorgeous. What we want to do is bring the same feel into the plaza between the two buildings. That's, that's where it's lacking, it's dark, it needs to be redone. Um, but obviously it's a wonderful canvas to start with. 
Uh, to move into some of the more specifics on what we're going to be doing with the building, this is the footprint of the North Tower on top of the plaza and then the South Tower. Currently, the north side of the North Tower has retail that comes to the street. The South side does not. And then on the South Tower, there's limited access directly into retail from Michigan Avenue. As I mentioned before, with Michigan Avenue retail being brought as far south on the avenue as it currently is, we look at this as a way to, we look at a great opportunity to completely redo the retail feel and, and really the feel of the building in general. Um, we're targeting doing retail on the level right below Michigan Avenue, the Michigan Avenue level and the level above. So it'll be about 60,000 feet over time. Most of it we can get to now, there are some leases in place, but over time we'll create 60,000 feet of destination retail. Um, Many of you might have enjoyed the old 410 Club. We are looking to bring a nice white tablecloth restaurant back into the building. Um, so we're very excited about what will be going on here. The plaza, we're excited to redo, reinvigorate, bring a lot more um, just traffic and life to that plaza, uh, both in terms of redoing the surface and redoing the lighting and just the feel. This slide is up here. It might be tough to see from here, but it's really to show how minimal of an impact we look to have from an overall feel and um, aesthetic touch to the building. The top is the way it currently sits. You see the glass, hopefully you can see the glass, breezeway in between. Do I? Oh, now you're getting advanced, though. Uh, so this is the glass I was speaking of which now down here is the rendering of it being taken out and really opening up um, what the feel of the whole project will be. Uh, I think I've got, and then this, as, we, as I mentioned, we're looking to really enhance the retail and make it a more of a, a traditional Michigan Avenue retail building. And so this slide is up to show, this will be a new direct retail entrance. That's how it currently sits. And it's, to get the point across, we're, we're being very respectful of the current architecture. Um, it, it will be a landmark building, and we want to embrace what it already is, uh, but make it what it also can become. Uh, here again on the south, uh, this door, this is a window, we'll create a door, and same over here. Um, so very unobtrusive to the entire feel and the continuity of the buildings. This is the plaza, plaza as it currently sits today. Um, it obviously is underutilized. Uh, this is a rendering of what we look for it to be. Again, um, you start to get a feel for taking out the glass between the two buildings and for just revitalizing the retail on both sides of the plaza. What we'll be doing here is the top slide is the north side, the, the south side of the north tower as it sits today. The glass you see to the left is where terracotta had been removed over the years, just outside the 410 Club. As part of what we're doing and in part of our discussions, not only with the city, but definitely with uh, the state and the federal level, is we'll be going in and, and restoring that to the, the original terracotta feel. It's one of the things that I personally am actually most excited about. It will give the plaza a completely different feel, um, bring it back to the full grandeur that it was. On the south side, oh, I'm gonna go back one time, which is the, um, the bottom slide, what we'll just be doing is removing some of the balustrades, making the retail space off the plaza accessible. So we really want there to be um, a lively feel, a reason to be in that plaza, not just a way to get from Wabash to Michigan. As we move into the buildings, this is a rendering of potentially the North Tower lobby. Um, as with a lot of buildings of this age, the, the ceiling was dropped over time, things were covered up over time. So we look to really add volume to this, um, bring in timeless materials. Uh, we're really trying to do two things at the same time, be, be cognizant and be respectful of what the building always has been, but create a place where you as a tenant, you as a broker, are excited and invigorated every day coming in and wanting to be part of the building going forward. This is another shot of the north lobby. 
um, creating a more open, inviting space. Right now, it's really a bowling alley of a hallway all the way back down to the elevators. The light fixtures you see, we do have a couple of, there are original light fixtures in this. These are renderings of what we'll be reproducing. There's a couple that already exist that we will use in one of the lobbies. We'll make reproductions for the north lobby. So again, areas where we want to bring the old and the new together. In the background of this, you see the clock hanging from the ceiling. Um, that's the existing clock. Uh, the existing elevator doors are gorgeous bronze detail. So one of the things was bringing a contemporary feel, if you will, and contemporary and timeless materials, but also needing to meld with a heavy bronze hand, which was indicative of the age when the buildings were built. As you move up in the building and go into multi-tenant corridors, here we want you to, we want you to walk into the lobby and, and have uh, just a great feeling, great high-quality materials at your touch, at the feel. Once you enter the elevator and you come back off onto your floor, this needs to be a building where you're ready for today's business. You, you can't walk off and walk in and expect to be in a 1925 building and do the business of today. So we want you to have that feel right as you walk off the elevator door through into your space um, and redoing technology in the building and upgrading systems and making it so that you're able to work in the 21st century in the asset. Um, There's another shot just actually down and gives you a little more perspective of uh, what we're looking at with the plaza and the breezeway. I think that's it. Oh, I'm going to go ahead. Ari, thank you. It's yep. great to see that this treasure is in such good hands. Our next speaker is <laughs> Rafael Carrera, representing 203 North Wabash. Rafael. Great. You can hear me? Um, really want to talk to you uh, about a project that's a little bit earlier in stages than the last two that we've seen. And this is really the redevelopment of 203 North Wabash. Um, that's the address of the building. It's really formally known as the Old Dearborn Bank Building. Um, what we're really doing here is partnering uh, with Virgin Hotels to take an old building that was built in 1928, originally as a bank building uh, with office, mainly professional offices above, and really convert this into a cool um, kind of state-of-the-art hotel. Um, and, and I think that's that's kind of the big mission. It's a building that has, over the years, had a number of developers and plans um, uh, put together to, to redevelop it. And for one reason or the other, economic or other things, things haven't happened. So we're really fortunate uh, to, to, to meet up with Virgin Hotels, who had really selected Chicago as one of their prime targets to uh, basically build or expand their brand. Um, into the hotel business. Um, many of you are probably familiar with Virgin um, as an airline uh, in, the, in Europe. They're a, a cell phone company. They're involved in a lot of different businesses. Uh, Sir Richard, Sir Richard Branson, is really kind of this very innovative, forward-thinking uh, uh, man, very bright guy who, who's always trying to look at where we can go next. And the idea of Virgin Hotels really to do that. Um, Virgin is actually a very successful travel company, huge, you know, international airlines. They've really grown their U.S. airline business. Um, and they have a huge tour company uh, business, primarily in Europe. And they're really looking to expand that to the, to the U.S. Um, they've built a great brand. I mean, I think most people in this room would be familiar with Virgin. Uh, through various things they've done, whether it be media or, or travel. And so what they're really looking is to take that brand and, and grow that. Um, it's interesting. I think back to, like, my business school days and sitting through those marketing classes that I was, I think, paying attention to. And I finally, after I sat with a few, few meetings with these guys, I said, these guys really understand what brand is and how to grow a brand and how to take the attributes of a brand and move it on to the next thing or how to expand it. So I'm very excited. I think this will be a great little project. Um, the hotel, this is a little bit hard to see, will be located at the corner of uh, Lake and Wabash. Um, 
I think it's interesting. Uh, one of the reasons they felt really strongly about this location is exactly what uh, Ari uh, just said before me. They really looked at uh, Wacker and Michigan Avenue as Maine and Maine when it comes to the hotel industry and the product that they were trying to roll out. So they really viewed a location that was really, you know, two blocks away from that as key. Um, they felt that was important from, from their uh, hotel brand, primarily because it was adjacent and near the Michigan Avenue corridor, Millennium Park, things like that, that certainly attract a, a big portion of the tourist uh, visitors to Chicago. But they also felt it was really on the edge of the core business district here in Chicago where people like ourselves go to work, go to meetings, go to things. So they really felt this straddled both the tourism and the um, business sector, which is really uh, the cross of their, of their tenant, of their um, uh, users or guests. This is not a great um, image, but I'll go to the next one. This is really an image of the building. I'll talk a little bit more about the building specifically, and I'll show a couple details here in a minute. The building is actually kind of a small floor plate. It's a little over uh, 6,000 square feet. It's only a 200,000 square foot building compared to the Sears or the Willis Tower. That's it's about a floor probably in the Willis Tower, maybe two floors. <laughs> but you know, it's a kind of a cool old building. Is some interesting facts about it. It was designed by uh, architects Rapp and Rapp, who really were very famous in Chicago in the 20s for designing a lot of our great movie houses, the Oriental Theater, the Uptown Theater. They were just they were really that was their their their, their niche, that was their thing. And they really only designed a couple office buildings, and this was one of them. And as we see some of the details, we'll see some of that kind of playful, playful flamboyant um, detailing that came through in this building, the use of terracotta and some other things. And they've taken that, uh, put that, applied that to an office building. And part of what attracted Virgin to using this is it will, it will make a very cool little hotel. Sorry. Uh, the building was designated a Chicago landmark. So it was a landmark before the Wrigley Building uh, back in 2003. Um, and um, therefore, it obviously has the, the protections and the, the requirements the landmark building has. Uh, I'll talk a little bit later about how we're taking that to, uh, to, the to our advantage. The building is also, as, as a landmark, the exterior of it is, is protected. Um, but we also, as part of the landmarking, they decided to I'll designate part of the lobby area of this building as a landmark. So part of what is being incorporated in the design is the reuse, a repurposing of that lobby area into something that is both historic and maintains the historic fabric, but then also applies it to, to the new use. The, sorry, back up. The, the hotel is really targeted um, at the younger 20, 30, 40, year old business traveler and tourist. It just has that niche that really they're taking from their brand, from Virgin's brand, and expanding it. Their target customer is really somebody who views technology, who views um, something that's playful, fun, that wants to socialize. Things like that are part of what they're trying to incorporate into the hotel. The smallness of the building actually makes for, has made for a lot of very kind of intimate places, and they're taking advantage of that. I'd love to show you some interior design for it. Unfortunately, interior designers are hard at work trying to figure it all out. <laughs> um, but you know, the idea for, for Virgin to make something that is unique, that has a very Chicago focus, um, a couple elements of the building, there's a, some historic ceilings from the old banking hall that are going to be reused. So they're incorporating some of the old design whether or not they're landmarked um, into the new designs and trying to make the building have a very contemporary kind of cool image, but making sure that some of these historic and some of these historic <laughs> elements are reused. Uh, food and beverage is a big part of the, of the hotel. It's a big part of their program. So a lot of the, you know, the former banking hall will now become this great uh, kind of club room and lounge. and It'll be really quite a, a, a neat place to be. Um, as a historic building, and this, this shows some of the, the great details, you know, a couple of things we're doing is we've obviously gone through a great part of the historic landmark 
process. You have to get everything very carefully designed and approved, and we've really been focusing on that, particularly the exterior elements of the building for the last few months. Um, we are, we've gone through the process, we're in the process of obtaining Class L tax benefits, which is a great program put together by the city um, and Cook County that helps you basically get a tax benefit for rehabilit rehabilitating historic buildings. Um, that combined with some federal tax credits that we're seeking uh, would really be the only way this project could make any financial sense. Um, and I think those are programs as people look at rehabbing old buildings and repurposing these buildings. Without those programs and without people that guide you through those programs, um, you know, the economics just often don't work. And I think that's why some of these historic buildings, and there's a number of them in the city of Chicago that have been um, reinvigorated, have really been a result of some of those programs. And I applaud the city and the government for doing that. Uh, these old buildings, though, have a lot of risks associated with them, right? They're old buildings. They were designed. This building has a, um, a fair amount of terracotta. Um, unfortunately, unlike the Wrigley Building, um, this building had a series of owners over the years. So the care and the attention that the building was given, um, I think, varied dramatically. Um, and so what, one of the things we found, you know, diving into it is there are certain things that need to be repaired. There's terracotta that's in bad shape. There's some exterior work. Some was done. Some needed to be done and was postponed. And here we are finding ourselves looking at that. A um, couple of things that we've done, and this is probably some lessons that we can certainly take away is, you know, on a building like this, you have to bring in the right team. You got to bring in architects, designers, a lot of very specialty-based uh, specialty consultants, um, a lot of people that are very familiar with historic rehab. Um, we have a consultant that's been, you know, tremendously helpful on the, the tax credits, accountants that are specialists in that arena. Um, this is not even for a, a large real estate company like the John Buck Company. This is all very complicated territory, and you really have to bring in some people that are true experts to make it happen. Um, and I think we've also just learned, you know, I was just on one of the floors the other day, and we've demolished part of that floor. Um, just to understand what is behind the walls that were put up in the 70s or the 80s or, or who knows when. And, and we've learned a lot. And so a lot of, we spend a lot of time on doing a lot of exploratory work to try to understand what's there. So then when we design the new hotel going into it, we're not dealt with a lot of surprises. And we can try to address some of those uh, potential risks. Uh, that's actually, this is the entrance to the hotel. You know, it's a great example. If you look at the doors, uh, these were all, these have, we believe, been replaced at least twice already. So the old historic doors are gone. But you can see some of the great detail that, that goes around them. So we're looking at a sensitive new historic entrance that fulfills the need of a hotel, right? In a hotel, you've got people bringing in suitcases, um, bellmen that have carts, things like that. So you have to accommodate all those uses. So we're kind of balancing the functionality needs of a new purposed building with the kind of the historic character and, and creating a real great uh, design. I think that's all I have. Raphael, thank you very much. And we look forward to the grand opening, you know, of your new hotel. Our fourth speaker, Steve Hammerley with Navy Pier Inc. Steve. Thank you. What I'm going to do is talk for a little bit about the Centennial Vision, which is really our framework for reimagining and redeveloping Navy Pier. Um, I think there's little doubt that Navy Pier is a Chicago icon. It came into existence in 1916. It was actually one of five piers envisioned by Daniel Burnham. Uh, it started its life as Municipal Pier Number 2 and was renamed Navy Pier in the 20s. Uh, everyone knows that assets require reinvestment over time. And there's, there's no question uh, Navy Pier is a successful place. It is the number one attraction in the state of Illinois. We have between 8.5 and, and 9 million visitors annually. But, but likewise, it, there really does need to be some additional reinvestment. It was redeveloped in the 90s, and, and now is the time. Uh, there have been, you know, over the past, well, I don't know, five years, a number of different ideas that have been sort of talked about for redeveloping Navy Pier. For various reasons, those did not move forward. Uh, the opportunity that came about about two years ago uh, came about when the state legislature sort of reconstituted the board of the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority, which is the public authority that, that owns Navy Pier. 
and that really then provided an opportunity and an impetus for change. Uh, the, the start and the sort of kickoff of that was sort of engaging and working with the Urban Land Institute. They brought one of their advisory services panels to Chicago. They, they actually met on two different occasions and really put together a foundation that, that we've really been sort of utilizing is really the basis for beginning our redevelopment plan for the pier. There were three top line messages that they came away with. One was purpose and mission. If you're going to redevelop a property or frankly any business, you really need to be crisp and clear about what the purpose and what the mission is. Everything flows from that. Um, they also talked about governance structure. Um, in, a, in the instance of a public asset like the peer, the ability to implement change is almost as critical as the ability to generate an idea. And then the third thing they talked about was developing a framework. So uh, just a, a minute or two about purpose. Uh, Navy Pier is the people's pier. Again, I talked about its sort of identity coming back or going back to the time of Daniel Burnham. Um, it, it really is a different place. It is not a privately owned asset. It is something that I think is treasured by everybody that lives in Chicago. It, and as a consequence, you know, we, we need to constantly keep that in mind. The, the mission statement, and largely this was the mission statement that sort of underlied the redevelopment in the 90s as, as time goes, as time had lapsed, you know, I think that may have been sort of lost. And so what we then did was sort of reconfirm what the mission is. And Navy Pier is intended to be a year-round world-class public place um, for people that live in Chicago and visit Chicago. I think part of what makes the pier the successful place that it is is it's really this eclectic collection of uses. There are public uses, cultural uses, retail, dining, entertainment, educational opportunities. And I think it's the collection of all those things that really make Navy Pier the special place that it is. But, but another important point is that it needs to be put together in a sustainable framework. And in this context, I sustainability in the terms of, of financial sustainability. Uh, governance structure. So I had mentioned Navy Pier is uh, publicly owned. It's the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority. Uh, the authority has two assets. Um, one is McCormick Place. The operation of McCormick Place about a year ago was privatized, and while the, the asset remains publicly owned, there's private management. Uh, a similar thing happened at Navy Pier. Again, the, uh, the owner of the underlying real estate is the MPEA, but what was created really was a purpose-formed, not-for-profit entity. And the notion here is, in some respects, it's about privatizing. But if you think about the mission of Navy Pier, it doesn't really lend itself to, to the motives and the incentives that a private uh, developer or a private landowner might have. And so, so hence, the, the appropriate mechanism was a not-for-profit entity. Uh, so Navy Pier Inc. has a long-term lease with MPEA. Uh, and Navy Pier Inc. is responsible for two things. It's responsible for running Navy Pier on a day-in and day-out basis, and it's also responsible for redeveloping Navy Pier. So the, the sort of overview that I'm giving is of a document that was uh, adopted by the board of both entities a little less than a year ago, and it's the Centennial Vision. It was really developed for three basic reasons. One was to get public input. Um, you know, again, Navy Pier is a public asset. It's the people's pier. I mean, it, it really does matter what people think and what is sort of appropriate for the pier. Um, the Centennial Vision is also a lease exhibit. And so it's, it's a document that says that, you know, you know we as, as Navy Pier, if we embark upon the kinds of things we talk about in the Centennial Vision, the landlord is fine. We have the approval to do those kinds of things. And then lastly, and probably more importantly, it really forms a sort of a, a set of guidelines for our new, you know, our new board as we go about and we make decisions about the pier going forward. It sets forth the aspirations for Navy Pier, but it's conceptual. So, so what I'm talking about is not specific design solutions, but I think what is arguably more important is it really does identify projects and establish priorities. Because if you think about the array of things that can happen at Navy Pier, they're, they're infinite, it's, it's endless. And, and so really what this document does is it says, okay, here are the kinds of things we're going to focus on. Uh, there's certainly a lot of details that need to be filled out, but, it, but again, I think it's a, a, a really sort of important and foundational document. Uh, 
the framework plan, the centennial vision, really sets about to do a number of, uh, a number of things. One is to build upon the successful components of the pier. Um, Navy Pier is not broken. Are there things that can be fixed? Absolutely, positively, yes. But when Navy Pier was originally redeveloped in the 90s, if somebody would have said there would be 8.5 million visitors that come to Navy Pier, it would generate $45 million a year in revenue, and guess what? That'll cover the operating expenses. People would have laughed. They would have thought people were insane. So there's, there's no doubt that, that we're sort of working from a good spot. Um, but there are opportunities to improve. We think there are opportunities to increase the uh, seasonal appeal of Navy Pier. We'd like to focus initiatives on things that grow off-season attendance, uh, that expand the audience beyond the sort of traditional family audience, but a more sort of adult audience, evenings, uh, weekends, nighttime. Um, we're going to create activity further east on the pier. Um, the vision is intended and should be flexible. Um, funding and available capital will, will vary throughout the course of the project. And so it was really important to sort of set up a point of where we wanted to go to, but, but it was equally important to have multiple ways to get there. And I think that flexibility is inherent in the framework we've put together. And I think it's a, a really important part of what we're trying to do at the pier. And then likewise, financial sustainability and environmental sustainability as well. So in putting together this document, we actually spent time looking throughout the world. We were fortunate to work with both uh, Jones Lang LaSalle and Gensler in sort of framing up what the centennial vision might be. And we concluded that the basic components are in place to make Navy Pier a world-class place, but it's probably not that place yet. Um, we think by implementing the, the things that we talk about in the vision, it truly will be that kind of place that people can refer to as world class. Uh, part of that has to do with authenticity. Um, we spent some time thinking about sort of Navy Pier in Chicago and what are the things that are genuinely authentic, truly unique about Chicago and about the pier. And it, you know, certainly part of it is the Great Lakes. I mean, Chicago derives its identity. I mean, it, it exists because of its sort of presence on the Great Lakes. It, you know, Navy Pier is that one place in the city of Chicago where you can really get a sense of the lake in the city. And I think that's an important point. Art and architecture, um, you know, certainly everyone knows, you know, how important art and architecture are within Chicago. Uh, diversity, part of what makes Chicago such a wonderful place is really the diversity of, of the people that live and work in Chicago. And I think that's something that needs to be embraced on a going forward basis at the pier. Uh, culinary traditions, um, you know, yes, Chicago, you know, loves deep dish pizza and hot dogs, but, but in a more contemporary setting, it actually is sort of uh, a really strong reputation with some great chefs and some great restaurants. And so again, we think there's something authentic and real that we can draw on here. And then performing arts, Chicago certainly has a strong tradition in performing arts. Uh, guiding principles, a couple of things that are important as we move forward at Navy Pier. Part of it is making Navy Pier a real place. Um, and by real place, I mean it is not a theme park. It is not a festival marketplace. And part of what we want to do really is to both physically and emotionally better connect Navy Pier to the people that live in Chicago. And, and then again, a lot of what we're doing on a going forward basis is a focus on uh, quality over quantity. Um, in thinking about Navy Pier, scale is an important thing to remember. Navy Pier, to state the obvious, it's, it's really big, it's long, it's over 3,000 feet long. The distance from one end of Navy Pier is the same as the distance from the Chicago River to the water tower. So if you think about that distance and the kinds of activities that take place you know, over the, that, that sort of breadth, um, the same kind of opportunities exist at the pier, and we've really broken it down into a number of different components. Um, the, the sort of uh, western portion of the pier is about family and leisure. It's anchored by the Chicago Children's Museum. Uh, we're working closely with them to try and put an agreement in place that would allow them to expand and remain a sort of vital component of Navy Pier. Uh, we're talking about we will be renovating the retail and the food court at the pier and also looking at other retail activities in the South Arcade. The middle of the pier is really about culture. And clearly, that's anchored by Chicago Shakespeare Theater, a wonderful asset at Navy Pier, wonderful asset within the city. 
They have plans and would like to expand and add an additional 1,000 seats. We think that, again, if you think back on some of the objectives that, that we've set out in the centennial vision, we think this is a really important piece of that. And then the, the eastern third of the pier is really about events and entertainment. Um, there's the exhibition hall. It's called Festival Hall. It's called that for a reason. Um, yes, we do have some small convention and trade show activity, but it's really about public shows. The image that you see on the screen is Winter Wonderfest. That's actually a self-produced event that Navy Pier has each year. It draws about between five and 600,000 visitors in December. Um, that kind of attendance is actually pretty credible for a year-round institution. And so it really sort of underscores the importance of that facility. Uh, we think there are opportunities to add some new uses. We think we can add additional restaurant space. We think we can add additional entertainment space. And again, this is part of broadening the audience, part of extending activity further east on the pier. Uh, we're also looking at and exploring the possibility of adding a boutique hotel that would sort of fit within some of the existing structures at the pier. Again, I think that uh, is something that would go a long way to adding sort of 24-7 activity at the pier. Uh, you know, again, we're exploring that. Clearly, there are, I'm even going to sort of set aside market impediments and challenges in the underlying market. I mean, we're actually looking at it carefully from a cost standpoint to see just how feasible that might be. And then the last sort of component of, of the framework plan is the Peerscape. And the Peerscape really is about the exterior public spaces at Navy Pier. So, so that's Gateway Park. It's the Crystal Garden. Now, I sort of use the word exterior public spaces. The Crystal Garden, in our minds, ought to be conceived of and thought of as an exterior space. And so, again, it's part of this peerscape. Uh, Navy Pier Park, it's where the Ferris wheel, the swing ride, the carousel are. Again, that's part of sort of the, the redevelopment initiatives at the pier. The East End, I, I mean, I, I would hope most of you have been to the East End of Navy Pier absolutely flat-out spectacular place. I mean, it really is that one place where you feel like you are in the middle of the lake, no matter how busy or crowded Navy Pier is. It just feels a little bit different when you get out to the end of the pier, and we think there's an opportunity to do some landscaping there and really make it uh, a world-class park. And then the South Dock, which runs the length of Navy Pier. It, it, and really, in a simple terms, what we're trying to do, that area over time has gotten a little bit cluttered, and that's a little bit of understatement. I mean, I think if you walked the dock, you sort of see what I'm talking about. And, and so that, I think, will really help and have a fairly uh, sort of transformative move by sort of remaking the streetscape there. And when we talk about uh, Peerscape, it sort of, in, in some respects, it's about places, but in another respect, it's about sort of an approach to design. And so when we say that, we mean landscaping, we mean streetscape, we're talking about public art. Uh, water features, graphic signage, lighting, and it's really the whole sort of array of tools that are available. Uh, we went about sort of moving forward on the Peerscape as a project by uh, a design competition that we sort of launched in September. Uh, we uh, went out internationally to look for firms. Over 52 teams submitted responses that represented over 275 individual uh, firms from well over a dozen different countries. Ultimately, we selected five teams to put together design ideas, and uh, certainly the, design, the designs from each of the teams are still on exhibit at the Chicago Architecture Foundation. You can sort of log on to Navy Pier, uh, the website, and also see those. We've selected James Corner Field Operations. Uh, we'll be working with that team. They're the ones that were uh, instrumental in developing the High Line in New York, they're doing work on the Seattle waterfront, Santa Monica, and London as well. Uh, I think one of the important points to remember is what we did do is we selected a team, not a design. Um, and so really that process was about finding the design team that was sort of the right fit and, and we felt would be sort of the right partner to work with. What we'll be doing over the summer now is working with the design team to actually figure out what ultimately will happen for those different spaces. Um, the slide that you see up here is included in the Centennial Vision. It was a preliminary uh, capital cost summary that we put together about a year ago. Um, you know, it identified spending about $85 million on the Peerscape. It talked about some other redevelopment initiatives. It totaled a little over $150 million. Um, that excluded uh, 
investments in or by the Children's Museum or the Shakespeare Theater or other commercial initiatives. Um, this was a very preliminary cost summary, um, very conceptual in nature. It's going to change. It will change over time. I mean, it will change over the course of the summer as we actually work with the design team on both uh, the exterior and then likewise we're also working on some of the interior renovation as well. And so as the scope becomes more firmed up, these numbers will have uh, will be refined as well. Uh, where we're at in the process right now is we are going to be spending uh, a good part of the summer into the early fall working on the design of the Pierscape. We'll be working on the design of the family pavilion. We think there are opportunities to spin uh, a project off a little bit in advance of some of the Pierscape by re-improving uh, improving some of the traffic flow in Gateway Park. Uh, we will continue our dialogue with our cultural partners, uh, Chicago Children's Museum and Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and that really encompasses sort of the sum total of what, what we're doing right now. And we're certainly embarking upon a very sort of ambitious in initiative. Uh, this has the name the Centennial Vision because in 2016, Navy Pier will be celebrating its 100th anniversary. So thank you. Thank you. Please join me in a round of applause for our panelists. Now, out of respect for time and getting you out of time, you know, last night I stayed up and I put together a couple of really riveting questions. But uh, I'd really rather offer it up to the audience. So are there any questions in the audience for any of our... Oh, this one's dead? Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. For our panelists. Oh, it can't be that easy. So let me start off with one of mine. Um, we all know in real estate, location, location is the key element. But I think number two is timing. And the question I have is why now? I think many of these projects couldn't have happened three years ago. And what's brought them to the forefront to move them forward? And Gary, I'm going to skip over you a little bit because you're ongoing. And I'm going to pass it on to you. The simple answer is we just bought the building. <laughs> but, but a more in-depth answer is, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of timing. It's, it's the Mars and Wrigley transaction happening and that redoing their outlook on what the Wrigley office occupancy was going to be. Um, coupled with, you know, so the... The, the why now from the there's an opportunity there is, is, is easy enough, but then there's the why now of why do you actually want to buy the building and undertake it? And, and yeah, we do think that um, it's a fantastic time to be undertaking this because of the advent of the retail coming south on Michigan Avenue, um, the rebound in tourism and hotel room occupancy and things like that that are all going around our building. Um, and the fact, no offense to my colleagues from John Buck, there are no shovels in the ground right now in office development. So we think that there's a window there where if we can deliver the right product, um, there will be absorption on the office side. So from a retail point of view, from an office point of view, and just you're not going to get very many opportunities to work on an asset of this stature. Raphael, your thoughts on the same I think, question? I think it's a great question. And I, I think in the case of, of 203 North Wabash, um, Virgin, uh, as many companies, you know, all companies have had some, some difficulties, but they're also saying, you know what, the way we can get, we can move forward is by having that innovation and moving forward. And so the idea of really building this, ver this uh, hotel brand in the U.S. and in the kind of the major gateway cities was really center um, to their kind of their next steps as a brand. Um, I think that coupled with uh, them looking at the hotel market in Chicago and in some of the major gateway cities in the U.S., I think they really viewed that this was the opportunity. I think one of the other things they viewed with buying a, an existing building that was going to be rehabbed was just the speed to market. If you had to find a site, design a building, permit it, build the shell and core, and then build the interiors, you, you double the time to market. And so by doing a rehab, you had um, the, the time to market, which was a, a key element to the, 
to someone who's trying to roll out a brand. Steve? You know, I think in the instance of Navy Pier, it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, I think Navy Pier, I think everyone would agree, is, is sort of a treasure, and, and those kinds of assets need to be maintained. So a lot of it really is taking advantage of opportunities or windows that allow that to happen. And I think in the case of Navy Pier, some of it is political. I mean, I, I think the sort of will existed and still exists, you know, within the past couple of years with the sort of reconstitution of the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority. I mean, I think from, from a leadership perspective, I think that made a big difference. There was the opportunity to secure $60 million in seed funding, again, that was sort of tied with some other sort of larger business moves that were taking place at McCormick Place. So, so a lot of it is, in the instance of an asset like the pier, somebody that really cares about a place being mindful of seizing the opportunity or the window because those windows don't come along that often. And, and if they lapse or they go by, they're, they're gone and they may never come back. And Gary, I'm not going to let you off the hook. So I know you began about five years ago, but really, what was the driver? I mean, was it vacancies? Was it the lost revenue from the Sky Deck that really brought you guys to search out and find such an exciting solution? Uh, one of the reasons why the owners uh, purchased the property, they definitely thought that there could be a, a lot more revenues generated out of the Sky Deck, and there were certainly opportunities within the building. There was a lot of vacancies. They bought it at a right time. So that they, they're thinking that they can add value by filling up the building, changing the, uh, the Skydeck, rebranding. It's all part of it, and, and it's really paying off for them since it's certainly we're, our revenues are increasing, occupancy is increasing. So uh, timing was good for them. Great. Thank you very much. Again, any questions from the audience? Hi, I'm Steve Rubin. Uh, thanks for a great presentation. All of you very, very much appreciate all the insight. Um, we're dealing with one of the icons of Chicago in terms of Sears Tower, now called Willis Tower. Going to direct the question to Ari. Is there any chance that it will no longer be called the Wrigley Building when you're done with it? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's not. Um, it's, it's one of the things the, the Wrigley family and the company is very adamant. So there, there, there are plenty of protections in place. It will always be the Wrigley Building. Any other questions? Thank you very much, Margie. I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you very much for our speakers today. Let's give them a round of applause. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, on June 6th, we are doing an evening program and facility tour at Baker and McKenzie's new office, and registration will be on the website soon. Uh, thank you again, and please remember to fill out your surveys.